The scripture comes from Genesis 3, 1 to 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me with, uh, with me, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Well, about two months ago, a little over two months ago, as we were in the middle of COVID restrictions and needing to be separated from one another and staying at home, it was at that time where we only had, uh, were allowed one other person in our home or one other person to interact with. I began to think to myself, what happens when I don't go to the gym? Wait a minute. I began to think of myself, what happens since I've never been to the gym? And what I began to recognize is that my body atrophies, right? That my muscles atrophy if I don't use them, that I, that I lose any strength and those kind of things. If you've ever had an injury that you've had to have a cast on, you recognize that when that cast is taken off, your arm is less or your leg is less. The muscle mass has atrophied. It's gone away. And so I began to think to myself, now, when we come back together, when the, the opportunity for us to come back together happens, there's a very good chance that our social abilities will have atrophied. That because we haven't been interacting with folks on a regular basis, it, it, we would have lost some of our knowledge and experience about how we engage with one another in, in, in different ways. Now, there's two things I can say about that. One, it seems like we've done a pretty good job of that, and, and we've remembered well. So kind of like riding a bike, that you learn to ride a bike and you never lose that. Uh, we are, though, when we get back together, uh, as if you've gotten onto a bike after you've not been on it for a while, a little shaky, but we're doing well. But something else happened while we were in COVID uh, restrictions. A movement began to happen in the world where people begin to recognize that there is a larger separation that's taking place. 
and, and we begin to see that there really is within this world an us versus them mentality. That there are others that are present in our lives. And begin to recognize that we really don't even know how to completely engage with the other. And so this sermon series that two months ago that I began to think about, about back together again or together again and what it would mean, was really going to be looking through Scripture and gathering how we interact with one another as followers of Christ and how we interact with those who aren't followers of Christ, who are in our midst, who we engage with in the world. What does it look like for us to do that? But as the months began to progress, I realized we might need to go a little bit deeper than just social interaction. And it would be good for us to go back, maybe even, to the beginning. To the place that got us to this point. This point that we can look on a macro level outside in the global world and go, man, things are falling apart. And there are people that are against people. And there are folks who want other people even dead. And then maybe we would even turn into our own hearts on a macro level and look in our own selves and say, who do I despise? Who do I, in moments of anger or control or desire to be right, do I dehumanize in my own life? Because what we want to know and what we want to see is that God really, in His grand design, in His creation, has created us to be, what? In whole, right relationship with Himself, with ourselves, with all others, and the very place that we live. I'm glad you nicked that from the website. And so it's good for us to go back to the beginning. So over the next few weeks, uh, the, the first two... This week and next week, we're going to look at how we got here and what the effects of how we got here have been doing. And then we're going to take a look at what is the answer to this. What has God done to enable us to move from how we got here to where we need to be? And then after that, we'll spend some time talking about now that we know who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live, how does that work itself out? Have you watched on YouTube or Facebook those videos that are taking place where a young toddler or a couple of siblings are set up at a countertop, a bench, and uh, the mom or the dad have put their phone on video and aimed it at them and then puts a biscuit or a lolly or a cupcake or a croissant in front of them? And says, now, I'm going to go away for a minute. I don't want you to touch it or eat it. I'm going to go away for a minute. Don't eat it, okay? You can eat it when I come back, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to be gone for just a minute. And then, but don't eat it, and, and I'll be back. And they, and they go away for just a few minutes. And you get to then watch the child looking at it, picking it up and smelling it, perhaps thinking they might lick it to taste it because that's not really eating it. You can tell those who are really good at justifying themselves and those who are really rule followers because the rule followers will sit on their hands, they'll kind of back away, they maybe even will push it further away from them. And those of us who are justifiers, who, are, who will think, now how can I get away with doing this without actually doing it? We'll figure, well now she said eat. So if I can just 
smell it and lick it. I'm not really eating it, right? And then the mom usually comes back or the dad comes back and says, oh, you've done a really good job. And, and I would say eight out of ten times that I have seen these videos, and I'm not seeing a ton of them, but, but it's not like I'm sitting at home just watching them over and over again. <laughs> Might be somebody else in my house. Uh, I, I will then, uh, the, 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 they won't have eaten it. And, and then the mom will go, oh, yes, you can have it. What I have noticed in it, which has been great, really, is that if they do happen to eat it, the mom and, and dad are not angry with the child. They say, oh, you didn't wait, and they go ahead and let them eat it. It's not like they take it away from them, because that would be really rude. This passage that we just read is based on the ultimate, here's a bicky in front of you. Or at least that's our perception of it when we see it. We need to jump into... Chapter 2, though, first. So here's the thing. God creates the world. And after he creates the world, he creates um, man. And he places man in the Garden of Eden. But also in the, in the Garden of Eden is filled with beauty and it's filled with everything that he needs. And it's filled with these glorious animals in all of creation. And what it is doing is screaming out glory to God. And here's man. He's sitting there. And God also in the middle of the garden has set up the, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's good for us to go to this passage so that we can see exactly what is recorded for us of what the Lord says. It says, now the Lord God took man and he put him in the garden of Eden and he worked it and he kept it. And the Lord commanded man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now at that moment, then the Lord says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he puts him to sleep. He takes a rib and he creates Eve. And they walk and they live together, and it is good for them to be together. And then we get to our passage. Now think about this. Adam and Eve, created in the image of God, walking in the garden, in relationship with God. And the only command that's given is you can't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every other tree, every other plant you can eat of, but not this tree. That's it. Here's the bicky sitting in front of you. Don't eat of that. They have relationship with God. Relationship with one another. They're, they're growing in that relationship. Yet every day, at some point during the day, they kind of walk by the tree. Is the tree still there? There it is. Good. Still present. I wonder what that tree, that, there's fruit on that tree. That, that tree's blossomed. Hmm. I wonder what kind of fruit that is. Is that an apple, a kum, kumquat, clementine? What is it? Is it a fig? Maybe, maybe, oh, no, no. Adam told me that I can't eat of it and I shouldn't touch it either. Maybe, maybe just, hey, why don't you eat that tree? Why don't you eat that fruit? That fruit looks really good. I don't know why you wouldn't want to eat that fruit. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no. we've been told we can't even touch that tree. Well, then why are you doing so close to it then? Well, I, I, I mean, I can look at it. I, I don't, I can't. I think you should go ahead and. Well, no, no, God told us. Oh, and he said we'd die. Oh, 
Surely God won't kill you for eating a fruit. He just knows that, that you'll be like him. Well, it does look good. It certainly smells good. I bet he's just being selfish. It's probably the best fruit in the garden. And he doesn't want me to have it. I wonder what Adam will think. He'll probably like it. I'll go ahead and do it. When we hear that story, we think to ourselves, why was God being so mean? I mean, why didn't he just let them eat the fruit? And I think because we are Western, when we hear the word knowledge, we think to ourselves that they're going to gain some insight. That, that by hearing the word knowledge, we think that if they eat the fruit, then all of a sudden, and it does say that they knew that they were naked, that something does change in their perception Right? But we think it's a knowledge. We believe it's head thing. But here, the author is telling us it's also experiential. You see, that tree is sitting there as this fruit that they're not allowed to have. And everything in the garden is good. Every experience that they're having is good. When God creates the world, he does it on the first day. It is good. Second day, it is good. On the third day, it is good. On the fourth day, it is good. On the fifth day, it is good. On the sixth day, it is very good. And then he says, it's not good, though, for man to be alone. Why? Because God himself is in community, in relationship. And he says, man needs to be in relationship. And he creates Eve. He creates woman. And it's good. Everything is good. But here's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they've been told not to eat of. And as soon as they reach out and pick that fruit and take a bite, they have now experientially stepped over the goodness that was all around them into the evil of distrust and disobedience of the good, gracious who pursues them in love. Lisa Sharon Harper in her book, A Very Good Gospel, says this. It's not like God is saying, um, I don't want you to have this. What God is saying is this, don't do it. I want you to live life to the full. I want you and your children and your children's children to know shalom, the peace of wholeness of everything working as I've designed it. I want you to know my love. I want you to know a lush and lavish world, a world where all relationships are interconnected and work for the good of all, a world without human exploitation and slavery, a world without droughts, a world without broken families, a world without domestic violence, without eating disorders, without rape, without war, without glass ceilings, without ethnic enmity, without structural racism, without nationalism, without other isms. I want you to live in a world where your ability to exercise agency, to serve and protect the rest of creation, to exercise dominion in unhampered from poverty and oppression. I want you to know peace. And instead, 
They wanted experience of what it was like to be God. Even though they were already created in the image of the one who has steadfast love for them. So maybe a good definition of sin for us A good place for us to set out what actually is sin is this. It's our inability to be what God desires for us to be. It's actually a failure of us to be faithful to what God's intention for us is. You see, God created us to be in whole relationship with himself, with ourselves, with all others in the place that he's put us. That's how God designed us and created us, that we are interconnected in our love for one another, in our love for him, that there is nothing that is beyond us in him, that he's provided all that we need. And so in that place then, when we sin, and and look, the consequences and and the outward expression of that heart desire shows itself in multiple different ways in our lives. There are physical things that we see when we say sin. But sin, what's happening here with Adam and Eve and what is actually why we're where we're at today is that it is a heart thing. That we distrust that God is good. That they distrusted that God promised them fulfillment, that God promised them peace, that God promised them love. And so it's a failure of our hearts to step into that clear intention that God has created us for, which is to be in relationship with him and others. It's a good definition of sin for us. So what takes place then for us when this sin comes in? Well, that's what we see happen. The first thing that we see happen when sin comes into the world, and we operate this way as well, is shame. Shame enters in. Very quickly, what do they do? Their eyes are seen. They look at themselves. They say, we're naked. Eve Eve and Adam go, we need to cover ourselves. There's something wrong here. We, We need to get some plants, and we need to cover ourselves. Right? There's shame that steps in when sin enters into the world. When we're not walking with the way that God intended us to be as people, as his creation, then we have shame. It moves us to a place where we think, I need to cover myself in some way. Well, that's just as crafty as telling us, God surely won't kill you. Because the reality is, is who do we see coming and searching? God. Oh, Adam, oh, Eve, where are you? The creator of the universe, the one who made the world, didn't know where they were? No, he recognizes that they're in a place of shame, a place of covering, a place of we're no longer worthy. We've fallen. We've we've failed this God. How could he ever love us again? And God says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And so God says, no, it's not about shame. Even though sin does bring that, I cover that shame. I'm going to come for you. 
So we see they, they hide them, their bodies. Then, then what we see is they have separation. So when sin enters into the world, it causes shame and then it causes separation. Not only do they cover themselves, they go and hide. They go and hide away from God. If they were smart, and we don't know this because this isn't in the text, so we don't know exactly how all it happened. If they were smart, they would have hidden in different places. I I think that's probably what they did. Here's the reason why. Would you want to be sitting and standing with the person that you think got you in trouble? It really, yeah. So there's separation. There's a place where we're so shameful that we know that we can't actually engage anymore. And yet, what did God call us to? Community. God called us to be with one another because he knows that being with one another, that is what binds us together in the knowledge of his love for us. And so we move and we go, wait, I've sinned. And so I I can't let people know I sinned because I'm perfect, obviously. And it might leak out, so I better not go see those people who know me best. Because they're going to see it on my face. So we have... (laughs) We move to the third spot. We have shame and we have separation and then we get blame shifting. What happened? Adam, what happened? Eve, oh, the, the woman that you made for me, uh, she gave me that fruit. Oh, oh, the serpent that you made, he, he's the one who tricked me into doing this. See, there comes a place in our sin that we know we can't carry it because there's so much shame and we've separated us ourselves so much is that we have to find somebody else to be the cause of it. We have to find some because the fear of moving back towards it and saying, yes, this is broken, scares us so badly that we say, maybe I'll just find somebody else to put this on. And all of a sudden, in our shame and in our separation, we no longer are a community. We no longer are one people under God in His steadfast love. And divisions begin to arise and be built within our hearts and then within our world. Because we just can't get around it. Because there's a brokenness that is here because sin has entered in. And when sin entered in, it brought shame and it brought separation and it brought blame shifting. And just one generation later, with Cain and Abel, It brings violence and death. Belise Pascal says this, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is an empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there to help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. 
Why are we where we're at today? Because sin came in and it brought us to a place of shame and separation. It brought us to a place of blame shifting and violence. All because we're all trying to get back to what God promised from the beginning. And we think, oh, well, this relationship will help. Or this political system will help. Or this doctrine will help. Or this croissant will help. Or this bottle will help. Or my work will help. And all it does is it doesn't fit our heart. It might get a little piece of it. It might fill it up just a little bit. And we think, oh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. If I just work harder, if I just work harder, I'll be able to get it done. And yet at some point it fails us and we run automatically back to shame thinking, what did I do to ruin this? You can't be me. What did other people do to ruin this? See, we move to a place here that we recognize that the reason why we're here today at a place where for some reason it just seems like we cannot get along. Let me make an aside. I know you get along with people. (laughs) I know there are people in your life that you love dearly, that you engage with them deeply, that know you and love you and understand you. There are people that you know and love and understand. There are folks that are both within the community of the disciples, the community of God, and those who are outside of it that you love dearly and care for, and they have interactions with you that you never really feel like you're against them at all. I understand that. I also understand that you might look out across the world and go, well, I'm not like any of those people either. Like, I've never acted that way. And that's why we need a sermon next week. Because next week we're going to dig deep into saying, okay, so what does it matter that Adam and Eve sinned? How does that actually affect me? I'm a decent enough person, pastor. Get off my back. But here's the problem. You don't want to be stuck in a garden where you can't see the creator and the tender and the caregiver of that garden. You don't want to be in a place where you don't recognize that there's a brokenness. That there is a brokenness in the world, but in turn, that means there's a brokenness in you. Because if you don't recognize that brokenness, then you can't actually walk through the place of being restored. Because the reality is, is you know there's a brokenness. And in that, you're either in the place of feeling shame or separation or blame shifting. Or you're so angry that there's that much brokenness that it seems like the only answer is either violence out there or violence to yourself. But what was and what is God's desire. I want you to live with me. 
I want you to know my love is greater than anything that you've ever done. I want you to know that I came into the world and I myself became that separation. That I myself became that shame. That I myself became that blame shifting. That I myself became all of that unrighteousness. All of that that lives out of the unintentionality of not doing what I've created you to do. And I took all of that on and I placed myself on the cross so that I will rescue you and bring you back to the garden. And I will be there and you will see my love for you. So we're here because of sin. but we know that we're not there. We're here because of sin, but we know we're not there because Christ has always and already defeated it. And he's made the way for us to walk. Hopefully, over the next few weeks, that's where we'll get to so that you'll see that. Let me pray for us. Father, you are mighty and holy pure and true. You are righteous and good. Father, you created us to be in relationship with you and with ourselves and with all others. And we ask that you will bring us together. We know that you've done that in Christ. Father, thank you for sending him. Thank you for your self-sacrificing love that would put yourself on the cross in order for us to be made new, in order for us to be brought from brokenness into wholeness, from death into life, from darkness to light. Father, as we look out on the world, teach us to lament and mourn. As we look at our own heart and our own evil inclinations, teach us to lament and mourn, yet not to hide in that, but to engage with it so that we can bring it before you so that you will again, always and forever transform it so that we can be like you. Jesus, it's in your precious name we pray this. Amen.